Our runners are often asking us how they can optimize their recovery. And aside from getting more sleep, one of our number one tips is compression socks. Compression socks can help increase blood flow from your legs to your heart and raise your blood oxygen levels. They also minimize leg pain and cramping and reduce swelling. So they're great for after that long run or hard workout. Our favorites are Lily Trotter's compression socks. They are the strongest compression that you can get without a doctor's prescription. And they are beautiful and fun to wear with your running gear. We love their Battle Axe collection, which recognizes powerful, unstoppable women warriors. But the socks can be worn by men or by women. So we're happy to have them as a sponsor and they are offering our podcast listeners 20% off with the code RFF20 on the website, Lily Trotters. That's L-I-L-Y-T-R-O-T-T-E-R-S dot com. We just wanted to take a quick break to give a shout out to our newest sponsor, UFOs. If you're a longtime listener, you know that UFO shoes are an integral part of our recovery and we've been wearing their new boots all winter long. UFOs are the original recovery footwear brand, helping to reduce load and stress so your body can rebuild throughout the day. Often the aches and pains we're feeling in our feet, ankles, knees, and even our hips can be due to not wearing supportive shoes. We wear our supportive running shoes when we're running, but what do we wear when we're not running? UFOs reduce shock impact on the body by 37%, making it easier for your body to recover faster. Stay tuned to our podcast and social media channels this month for a chance to win a pair of UFOs. And check them out now on their website at UFOs, O-O-F-O-S dot com. One of the pieces of running gear that we've both used for 15 years is our SPY belt. It's one of our favorite pieces of running gear. SPY belt stands for small personal items. And we both started using it many years ago to carry our nutrition during races. It's great, no bounce, no chafing, and a great way to carry nutrition. But since then, I'll be honest, I use mine as my purse. I use it for my phone, my keys, wallet, and strap it on and don't have to worry about carrying a purse. So it's one of our favorite running items and we are so excited to have Spy Belt as one of our sponsors and they are offering our listeners 15% off through May 15th. You can order online at spybelt.com and enter the code RUNFARTHERFASTER15, all one word, lowercase letters. Give it a try. We think that you'll love the Spy Belt for whatever you have to carry when you need your hands free. Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, First of all, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that 17 years ago, we were in this situation in the D.C., Maryland area where these disgusting bugs came out of the woodwork called, for those that don't live in the area, cicadas, spelled C-I-C-A-D-A-S. Look them up. They're like out of a sci-fi movie and they come to our area every 17 years and they crawl out of the trees on to the sidewalks, grass, what have you. And at first you're kind of like running this week and like, you know, it's not bad. I heard so much about this on the news. The news is sensationalizing this. Like it's really not a big deal. And then yesterday I was running and I mean, Lisa, these things were everywhere. And then I felt something on my sock and I like shook it off. And it was one of these cicadas. I was so grossed out. 
And then um, I was at this outdoor movie last night, just sitting there. And I, I was like, oh, something's in my hair. I was like, oh, it's a cicada. So anyway, for those living in the D.C., Maryland area, Godspeed. We'll get through this. It's every 17 years. I have no memory of this 17 years ago, perhaps because I had a little baby and I wasn't focused on it. But my gosh, for all the runners out there dealing with them this weekend, um, we'll get through this. This too shall pass. And how ironic that is happening in 2021. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, it's funny, though, that you mentioned that because I was just saying today that we, we've been um, hyped about this for, for many months now. We've known that they're coming. And I've lived here for many in, in this area for, for many years, for 40 years now. And so I actually also don't remember 17 years ago being so remarkable that it stuck in my mind. And I'm not a fan of cicadas. Um, so I, I don't exactly remember what happened last time. But two times ago, so 34 years ago, I was in middle school and my middle school friend and I um, uh, who's a, a runner who we actually, we, we have run with before she runs the Parks Half Marathon every year, um, Lauren Rubin. Um, oh. she, uh, our, yep, you know, Lauren, our, my, my eye doctor. my optometrist. Yep, she's number one optometrist in the area. If anyone's looking for a great eye doctor in the Rockville, uh, Gaithersburg, Potomac, Bethesda area, she's wonderful. But we were just having this conversation because we went to middle school together. And she said that she remembered vividly going out to the, um, she was playing tennis in middle school and went out to the tennis courts and the tennis courts were coated with the cicada shells and that they had to sweep them off, off the court. So I've been also very, um, you know, as a runner, obviously, and a cyclist and my kids who are cycling, sort of dreading this um, onslaught of cicadas. And interestingly, we were just talking about this. You've seen a lot and you've been crunching through them in your area, which is a few miles away from me. But in my neighborhood and in the neighborhoods that I run through, um, they haven't been, I've seen a couple, you know, on trees. I've seen one or two here in the sidewalk, but have not yet. But yet I think is the key. I have a feeling it's now just gotten hot here, which we're going to talk about in a second too. And um, the forecasters are saying that, you know, the heat is going to bring them all out. And they actually, what they do is they, um, all they do is they come out for four to six weeks. They hatch out of their shells. They fly around, they mate. The females then plant their eggs in tree branches, which those eggs then fall to the ground and burrow into the ground. And then for 17 years, that's what happens. There's a wonderful um, movie somebody sent out, a very short little movie, like a little, um, it's almost like a documentary on cicadas that makes you want to love them because you feel really bad that they, you know, they have this such a short, they, they burrow in the ground for 17 years. They come out for, you know, four to six weeks. Everyone's scared of them. They, predators, fox, foxes, dogs, anything, you know, can eat them. They, they have no defense other than their sheer numbers, which to me is actually very frightening. So, but this, this little movie, this little clip, it was very short, makes you really feel, I think it was created by the like cicada lovers of America of, you know, uh, uh, whatever organization to make everyone feel a little better about the cicadas. It makes you feel a little bit bad for them. But like I said, I, I have not had um, any issues yet, but I'm anticipating that it could become a problem. And um, I'm having nightmares of like cicadas flying in my mouth when I'm running or in my helmet when I'm riding my bike. So uh, I, I, we actually, as a side story, we have a runner, I'm not gonna say any names, but we do have a runner who's so terrified of the cicadas that she has left the area and she planned ahead of time to go to an undisclosed location, I will not say anything, but a place that does not have cicadas. And as soon as she came out one day out of her house and uh, she told me, she said, I heard the crunching under my feet. I'm leaving. I'm out of here tomorrow. So she actually left to avoid the cicadas. I'd like to do that, but I'm not going to go to that extent. 
That's actually super funny. I mean, it's like a sort of like Airbnb could have a little campaign. <laughs> you have cicada fears to, you know, come come live with us for six weeks and, and relax and enjoy living stress-free without these cicadas. Anyway, anyone who's still listening to us after this conversation, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for sticking with us. We will now switch topics. And uh, yeah, think of us over here in the D.C. area dealing with us the next month. Um, Let's talk so, about the heat. Anyway. <laughs> so the heat yeah, is related heat. to cicadas, right? Let's talk about yeah. the heat. That's been our big, uh, you know, our big transition this week has been, has been the heat. And I, I definitely felt myself, in, and you know, we've talked about this before. I love the heat. When the hot weather comes out, I'm so happy to be able to go out and run without bundling up with gloves and, and, and you know, a hat. Um, so I'm really happy, but I've definitely been feeling it this week. And I don't know if it's allergies or the heat or something else. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm, I've been struggling. Um, just my legs feel heavy. Like my pace is slower. I'm, I'm like harder to, I feel like I'm working a lot harder and it may be that the heat is affecting me, but we've been talking to a lot of our runners about this and we get every year, every year without, you know, without exception about this time, we get texts or emails or notes from our runners saying, I, what happened to my fitness? I can't, you know, my heart rate sky high. I can't hold my paces. I feel horrible. And it's, it is that acclimation period and it will take a couple weeks of being exposed to this consistently. So we had a few weeks ago, we had maybe a few hot days when it felt hard to run, but we weren't consistently exposed to the, to the heat over the last couple of weeks. So it's going to take a couple of weeks of being consistently exposed um, to this heat. And, and to that end, we have um, a, a bunch of local runners or a bunch of our runners doing a local small uh, half marathon this weekend. And so that's posed um, quite a, um, you know, a, it's a big factor in our race prep for those runners. And um, uh, it, it's like, um, it's like the hot Boston year when we went into Boston, having really very little experience running in any warm weather. Yeah. So what we suggest for everyone who's dealing with this is first of all, uh, don't use your garment as a measurement of your fitness over the next several weeks. In fact, most of the summer, we talk about this a lot. You gain a lot of fitness over the summer, even if your paces are slower, even if your heart rate is higher when usually it's lower when you're running at the same pace. It's not because you're losing fitness or getting out of shape. It's simply how your body reacts to the heat. So just gentle reminder to just run by effort and know that you're still gaining a lot of fitness. And these runs are like, you know, we always say this poor man's elevation training. And so just embrace the heat, know that by running at, by effort, rather than running at what you think you should be running based on what you've done in the past, you will feel so much better and be able to recover to run the next run. And if you are, you know, training for a race and you suddenly see that the weather's a lot hotter than what you want for your race conditions, welcome back to racing. How great is it to once again, be stressing about race weather? So here we are. And like we've said, and, and I love being able to say this again, control the controllables. We can't control the weather. We can only control how we react to the weather. So if you see for your races over the summer as they return or even in the fall, the weather is not optimal for your best race, that's okay. Make a plan and know that you're going to have to slow your roll a little bit, uh, run by effort. You may feel better than you think. If you go into the race thinking, I'm going to feel horrible, that's kind of manifesting that you're not going to have a great race. Instead, go into the race saying, I'm going to run my best in these conditions. And with each mile, listen to your body, understanding that your pace will likely slow as the temperature goes up during the race. But that doesn't mean you can't have a successful race. I mean, 
my gosh, back to the hot Boston. It was, you know, in 2012 at this point, um, nine years ago. However, we remember it very vividly because we were so well trained for a cool Boston and we got out there and we both ran by effort and we ran both of us about 20 minutes each slower than our projected marathon time that year. So what we were training for, of course, we weren't able to achieve because it was like 85 degrees, but we were about 20 minutes slower. And that is is a successful marathon in my book because we were able to maintain effort, even effort. And that's the best we can all do. So similarly in training, just run by effort. A mile is a mile and don't be upset with yourself or frustrated if your run is slower than you'd like or your heart rate is higher, that's just your body responding to the heat. It doesn't mean you're less fit. Absolutely, and this is the time now to start uh, incorporating some electrolyte supplementation. Uh, So whether that be noon, a product like noon, where you're putting it in your water and carrying that with you in your water, or a a capsule or tablet like um, salt stick, which we really like um, as well, um, that this is the time to start incorporating that into your your training. Um, And it'll really should help you uh, feel a lot better too. So um, that's definitely um, definitely a factor that comes into play every year, pretty much anywhere anyone is listening, unless you're in the Southern Hemisphere and you're 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 heading into winter. Um, we're all going to be dealing with that now. And uh, I keep thinking soon enough we'll be complaining that it's too cold out again. So live in the moment, enjoy it. Yeah, brace the suck. Anyway, <laughs> so. Um, Coming up next, we have a really exciting guest. Uh, We had the opportunity to interview a friend of ours. Her name is Jen Blackburn, and Jen is a fitness leader in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. She was for a long time the area manager for group fitness for all of the Equinox gyms in our area. And for anyone who's familiar with Equinox, it's kind of like the gold standard gym out there, and their classes are top notch. And Jen oversaw those classes. In addition, before that, she has been in the fitness world almost her entire life. She's in her late 40s and has a wealth of experience um, in fitness, has seen all the trends come and go, and as a result, has really um, gotten to really understand the impact of fitness on others and uh, really knows um, what makes people click in terms of staying consistent. So we were really excited to talk with her. We've known her for years. In fact, Jen was the one who many years ago, we, we may have talked about this on the podcast. I think we did. We had an opportunity to train one of the uh, Real Housewives of Potomac, Giselle. And um, it was hilarious. And we did some filming on a track. And um, Jen, Giselle was one of her client, Jen's clients. And she introduced us. And while we didn't get on the show, uh, our scenes were cut. Uh, you know, our shirt, our singlet was on the show, (laughs) made a cameo and our bag. Remember our bag was too. Yes. Our our, our logo product placement (laughs) made it into this show, but uh, but we, we ended up on the cutting room floor, but it was such a fun experience. We had a really good time and we do that. That was thanks all to Jen who reached out to us when she found out that Giselle was going to be training for a, a, a run. She reached out to us to get involved, which was such a riot. So we appreciate. Oh my that. gosh. Totally. She's, she's, yeah, she's just such a, a generous person. 
um, just total girl's girl, always raising up women around her and, and really wants others to succeed in every way. And she's, that's why she's a leader in the industry. So anyway, we had Jen on today on our episode um, to talk about not just fitness, but how to be resilient. Uh, Jen has been through a lot in her life. She's very open about it. And she shares her story on this episode and how she navigated some really unfathomable situations and true trauma and how she was able to come out of that with strength and resilience. And we hope that this episode will resonate with everyone listening, but particularly those that are dealing with really hard things right now or perhaps in the past where it's still affecting you, that's okay. And it's to be expected and it's normal. And we wanted to talk about that with Jen and she was so open and so generous with her time. And we just both think she's a tremendous human and we really admire her. We will warn those listening that there are some sensitive topics discussed. So just uh, be aware of that. And uh, we really hope that uh, for all who are listening, that you get something out of this episode. We both certainly did. We just think the world of Jen and Jen, we know you're listening and we want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. It really meant the world to us and we know our listeners were, will benefit. Absolutely. So let's turn it over to Jen and, um, oh, and before we go, we want to uh, mention that we've got another contest coming up, right? We are going to be, um, giving away a uh, spy belt, um, Lily Trotter's compression socks and UFOs to a listener and um, tune into our social media channels for more information on how to enter. Uh, we will be posting that shortly. Yep. So Lisa, I hope you have a great week and uh, we'll be back next week with additional tips. I'm sure as this heat is not going away and uh, to all those racing this weekend, welcome back. And we can't wait to hear about it. Bye, Lisa. Bye, Julie. Jen Blackburn, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. We are so excited to talk with you. This conversation is long overdue. You are one of our fitness sheroes. We just adore you. And we're so thrilled that you agreed to come on and talk with us today. So thanks oh, for joining us. Thank you for having me. I love it. I'm so excited. We are too. So Jen, um, for the 1% who don't know you, just kidding, it, you're, you're sort of a celebrity in the D.C. area, so a lot of people in the D.C. area already know you, but those outside of the D.C. area, um, could you introduce yourself to us? Tell us who is Jen Blackburn, uh, where you're born and raised, where you live now, a little bit about your family and your career. Okay, so um, I am 49. I actually just found out the other day that I'm going to be a grandmother. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Congratulations. Nice. Okay. Officially the best. And we know our listeners can't see our interviewer can't see Jen on, on the podcast, but you know, we'll post a picture. Jen, Jen looks like the farthest thing you'd ever think. And it doesn't look 49. That's for sure. But certainly you, you give grandma's a good name, Jen. That's right? so exciting. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. I'm excited. So I have a son who's 27, Jordan. He is married and lives in Florida. So they're expecting this fall. And then I've got two teenagers, 16 and 17, and then two little girls that are six and four. So 
we have the full spectrum of all things chaotic right here. Um, I was born in Arizona, but raised in Chicago. Um, I have two sisters and two brothers. So another family of five, we're a family of five. I was a family of five. Um, my siblings live Arizona, Seattle. My parents live in Colorado. Um, I started in fitness very young because I left my home when I was 15. And in order to survive, I had to, to figure out what could I do that could generate money, but still able to go to school. So I was on the gymnastics team and the dance team and all these sports things. And this girl brought up to me, she's like, you should work at the front desk at the YMCA. So I got a couple jobs and I couldn't get a job at the YMCA. And then finally I got a job at the YMCA when I was like 17 and I taught aerobics high, low. Um, so grapevine master. Um, and I just kind of started from there. And then I ended up in Maryland because after high school, I needed to figure out what I could do to make money to get to college. So I became a live-in nanny. And that nanny job sent me here and then I never left. Yeah, kind of crazy. So my husband and I, my first husband and I owned a company called Elite Athlete Training Systems. We trained athletes. And then he passed away. I went to Orange Theory. I was at Equinox for about seven years. And then we, the new normal became different than it was. <laughs> That's an amazing synopsis of your life. And we're going to unpack this because there's a lot to this. And, and first of all, anyone listening to your story, just from this paragraph, a word that comes to mind is resiliency. You are someone, you've, you've been through a lot and you have just an innate skill to know how to pick yourself up and keep moving forward. And as a result, uh, you inspire a lot of people through fitness and also through your story. So uh, we want to just talk a little bit more about your story. So first of all, you mentioned that you left home early and what was that like for you? And, and how did you get through that and manage to figure out, I need to graduate from high school and then go on to college? Um, I think you're, this will be helpful to parents of teens and for teens listening. Yeah. So I was raised in Chicago. My mom is handicapped. I was at the time an only child. So all I had ever known was my mom and my grandmother. And it was amazing. I, I loved, loved, loved being raised with my grandparents and my mom met my stepdad. They started to date. They ended up moving in together. They ended up getting married. And during that time, I kind of, instead of like your parents getting divorced and you're going back and forth, it was like my, my, I was losing my grandmother and I was going back and forth from my, my new parents and my grandparent and my grandmother. So years go by my mom and my stepdad have a daughter, my sister, Jessica, and my dad decides that we're going to move to Colorado. So I was completely devastated. Well, we moved to Colorado when I was a freshman and I guess it was the end of my freshman year. And I lasted about six months and I was miserable. We were fighting all the time. And finally, my stepdad was like, listen, if you don't like it here, you can just take your shit basically and get out. And I was like, it, 
to be honest with you, it was kind of devastating because my mom really didn't like stand up for me. And back then, you know, let's see, I'm 49. That's 40 years ago. There weren't as many blended families as there are now. So I was emotionally devastated and she was just like, sorry, these are the rules in the house and you got to follow them or you're going to get out. So I left, tried to figure out how to get emancipated and get a job. I lived with friends. I lived in like a group home with a bunch of horrible children. And I was just determined to like, I'm not going to do drugs. I'm not going to drink. I'm just going to keep going to school and keep doing my gymnastics, keep going to school and keep doing my dance, keep going to school. And I think that was fitness and movement was my main focus to stay grounded. I didn't have a whole lot of friends. I wasn't focused on like going to parties or being like in the in group or popular. I was like, I just need to buckle down, keep focused, stay on this path and drive forward. So um, I got into a lot of bad situations like, you know, parties and just a lot of crazy stuff, but I never, never did drugs, never drank till I was 21, never skipped school. Like I was ultra focused. So even when we would go to a party and people were like doing drugs and drinking and all this, I was like, okay, this is fun, but I got to get out of here. Cause this is not for me. <laughs> Jen, do you think, do you think being an athlete, um, helped you have that viewpoint of like this, I'm an athlete, I take care of my body. Or were you just so focused on really, you know, making it through that, that that's, you know, did, did, did being an athlete play any role in that, in that determination? I think so. And I think it's, very apparent on what you don't want to end up to be. So you go to these parties and you see these people and these people like are all drunk on the floor, these kids acting stupid. And you're like, okay, I know one thing. I know I never want to look like that. <laughs> I never want to be like that. I never want to have no control of my body, which, you know, speaking of that, having no control of your body, when I got COVID, that was a huge fear because I was like, I have absolutely positively no control of what is happening. And the world doesn't even know what's happening. The doctors I'm going to don't know what's happening. So that was extremely fearful. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about COVID in, in a little bit. Um, but I'm, I, I love this. Um, I just love that you've always had, we know you as somebody who's dedicated and passionate and really um, very, um, you know, just focused and, and you're always, doing the right thing too. And it's so interesting to look back and see that that, you know, started, you've always had that innately. So um, did you have any, um, you know, adults in your life then that kind of helped you or were you really doing this all on your own? Completely on my own. My stepdad and I had no relationship after I left. I was just like, you know, I kind of hate you. And the fact that my mom didn't stick up for me and my sister and I, we were, we're eight years apart. So we weren't very close and it's just, a, you know, it's a different dynamic. So ironically enough, later on, my stepdad and I are like best friends. Like he's literally my best friend now, which is crazy how, how you kind of like move through all the muddy waters, you know, and he will fully admit, like, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, that was 40 years ago. You were my first kid. I met this woman who's handicapped. We fall in love. I'm taking care of her. I've got this kid now that I have no idea what I'm doing and we're moving across country. We're finding a new house. I'm changing jobs and you're a typical bratty teenager. Yeah. But to have that ability to forgive too, and, and 
and, and be able to have the perspective to to look at that and say, yes, you're right, that was your your situation, and to be able to forgive and have the relationship you have. I think that's a an amazing example too, because I think many people would hold a grudge for a long time. I know that would be hard for me personally to 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 forgive somebody for for doing something that like that. So that's that is I think that speaks volumes as well. Yeah, it was definitely a lo- definitely a long process. <laughs> it wasn't seamless for sure. I will echo Lisa's sentiment. Um, I have a little bit of a parallel story with respect to that dynamic. And I just am listening to your story and I'm super inspired because it is very easy to carry that with you and make it part of who you are in a positive way or a negative way. And it's very clear to us that somehow innately you had the constitution and the strength to be able to take that trauma and turn it into something positive. And coincidentally, I just finished this book. Um, It's a book by Oprah um, called What Happened to You? And the whole book is about trauma and how it's inherited and how a traumatic situation, one of which is described, is identical almost to what you described and how different people absorb trauma and it can be inherited from generation to generation. So the fact that you innately, you were able to absorb your trauma in that way and use movement, which in the book is referred to as regulation, to be able to sort of soothe yourself and get yourself together um, really is, is I, I don't know how you did that, but it's, it's really admirable. And, and I'm not saying that if someone responded differently, they're weak. It's just you somehow were able to do that. And that's really stellar. And clearly you've, you've probably passed that on to your children as well, that example of strength and how to deal with hard times. So speaking of hard times, since you referenced it earlier, we're going to jump ahead a little bit. Tell us about your COVID experience, because we did not realize till we just started talking for this podcast that you had COVID. And that clearly was a trauma as well. And you, without even realizing it, described that to us just now, how the trauma of not being able to control your body was awful for you and on top of the physical ramifications of having COVID. So share a little bit about that with us, if you don't mind. Yeah. So I think for me, it was completely terrifying because my first husband passed away. So the boys have no father. So when COVID came around, you know, obviously in the beginning, people were like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's the flu, whatever, whatever. And I've had the flu. I think I've had the flu maybe once. So, you know, we're in our house. We're not really doing a whole lot. And um, it's been almost a year and we have been quote unquote safe. No, you know, we're wearing masks. We're socially distancing. We're not really going out. We're not seeing family. We're doing all the things we're supposed to do. Well, as people started to like go back to work or whatever. So it was just this February, my 16 year old was interning at a local gym and you know, the kids that get COVID, they don't really have symptoms. So obviously they're not infecting people on purpose, but one of the kids at the front counter had COVID and he didn't know it. And the only reason why he found out he had it was because his mom started getting sick and she got tested. So they kind of did, you know, the tracing, whatever it's called, and um, figured out that the son had had it first. He gave it to my son and then my son brought it home. 
he had probably had it for like five days. And then we were all pretty much down for the count. And let me tell you on like day three of being infected, I have never felt so paralyzed in my life. Like I remember having the flu right after Jason passed away in 2008, he passed away in February. And I think we all got the flu like that fall. And, and at the time, my little boys were two and three and my older son was like 12, maybe. And I remember crawling on the floor to like help the boys because, you know, when Jason died, we were completely alone. I have no family here. And I was remember thinking to myself, there is no freaking way I'm going to be able to make it through this. Like, how am I going to be able to raise these kids? How long am I going to have the flu? Like, it was just, it was horrible. And I vividly remember that feeling of crawling on the floor, like feeling like death. COVID was a hundred times worse than that. I had a fever of 103 to 103.5 for three weeks. I physically could not move. I couldn't, it, it took like, actual talking to myself to be like, okay, now we're going to go downstairs. Now I'm going to take the washing machine and put the washing clothes into the dryer. Like it was a conversation every day. And then every day around three o'clock, you're totally debilitated. You can't move. It's, it's just, I, I like have no words. It's so crazy. And so this went on for almost two weeks where it was completely horrific. And then you would have a couple of days where you're like, okay, I think I might actually feel okay. And then boom, completely downhill, can't move. So I would say that this crazy cycle after I tested negative went on for another two to three weeks, but I still have a fever in this time. So I've tested negative for COVID, but I still have a fever. So I went to the doctor. I went to another doctor. I called a doctor. I did a, a Zoom doctor appointment. I got medication. I went to the ER. I'm like, what? is wrong. There's this TV show. It's called like monsters and me. And it's all these freaky, like parasites. And I was like, I'm like, I swear to you, I, there is something inside of me <laughs> and someone's got to find this parasite because something is wrong. Something is off. But I remember feeling that fear laying in bed, like, oh my God, my kids cannot lose a parent. And I think, you know, there's a woman that lives in the Kentland's Gaithersburg area that we all know. And she lost her husband and he was in his forties. And I was thinking to myself, oh my God, I can't put my kids through this again. Like something, something has to be right. So, you know, amen. We all got through it. It was a long six weeks and we are all vaccinated and making our way to the road of recovery. Yeah. But you were telling us too, you still have effects. You'll still, and, and getting back and somebody like you, who, you know, your, your life is fitness and your career yeah. is fitness and your, you know, you, you, that's, that's, that's what you do. Um, obviously your, your number one fear was being there for your kids, but I, I would have to guess that the second question was like, how am I going to be able to return to exercise and, and instructing and helping others? And um, tell us a little bit about that process, how long that took you to get back to feeling like you could actually, you were back at your, your kind of normal capacity. So um, during COVID, I had like these two special events. One of them was for like girls on the run. And then there was another one with Athleta. And I remember doing the event going, oh my God, it's only 30 minutes. Oh my God, it's only 30 minutes. Thinking to myself, I can do this. I have been through way worse things than how I feel right now. It's mostly the lung capacity. 
like, you know, when you're coaching, you're like talking and talking and talking and then giving advice and giving coaching tips and feedback and you're showing the move. So it's completely draining. And in COVID it's a hundred times worse because now people don't even have equipment. So you're like, okay, if you have a chair, do this. If you have a couch, do this. If you have a towel, do this. So you're giving 5,000 extra modifications than you normally would. It's like, you can't even catch your breath to give them the normal modifications when you're healthy. So it was a struggle. I just kind of, you know, it's kind of like a couch to a 5k. You do a minute and a minute walk and a minute run and a minute walk. <laughs> so you just build yourself back up slowly. I, I feel like you have had so many tests in your life. I mean, this conversation, we've already talked about a couple. It's like, why did you have to get this, the long haul COVID? I mean, can you, if you had to get COVID, can you have just gotten the one that a lot of people had? Right. The snippet. Can I just get the snippet? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But um, we appreciate you sharing your story because you've mentioned you got vaccinated. So uh, anything you want to share about vaccinations to those who may uh, be hesitant right now? Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, it's like all vaccinations, right? I think, you know, I've heard a lot of discussions about, you know, um, we don't want the pharmaceutical companies to get all this money and things like that. And, you know, everybody's making money everywhere from everything all the time. You know, you're on birth control, you're on heart disease medication, you're on diabetes medication. Somebody's making money to produce all those medications. COVID is the scariest thing. It does not play a role on, you know, the unfit, the super fit, the ultra fit, the person that has diabetes versus the person that doesn't, it is just a wicked, we know nothing about this disease. And I would not ever wish upon anyone to get COVID. The vaccination is seriously the best way to go. I think, I mean, I would get my kids vaccinated and my mom has polio. So it's kind of ironic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Vaccinations work. It, it is scary. We understand that there's hesitancy, especially for those who, you know, really there are there are a lot of people who are fearful of this of a vaccination that hasn't necessarily gone through the same amount of time of testing. But it's it's something we need to trust the science. And um, the alternative is what you just described. Uh, those who are still on the fence consider the vaccine. Um, so. Another question we have for you before we start, we talk specifically about your fitness trajectory is your success, it seems, is rooted in the many challenges you've had in your life. And you referenced one of the most prominent, horrific challenges, and that was the death of your husband, Jason. Yep. Um, would you mind talking about that with us a little bit and sharing how you moved past, not past, how you moved through that and managed to raise your children and at the same time become one of the most successful, prominent fitness leaders in the DMV area? So in 2008, uh, my husband at the time, Jason Hadid, was murdered in King Farm by a friend of ours, Michael Adams. Um, they were arguing over a football. I don't know anything about football or betting, but they were arguing over the Super Bowl and who would win the game. It was like the Patriots versus, I don't know, some somebody else. But 
um, Mike Adams said it was going to be one person, one team, and Jason said it was going to be the other team. And they were literally fighting over a hundred dollars. So at the end of the Super Bowl, the team that Jason thought was going to win because Jason was a football strength and conditioning coach, that team won. He goes to Mike's house. He's like, Hey, I really want my money, blah, blah, blah. They start, they get in an argument and Mike pulls out a gun and shoots him as Jason is picking up Mike's laptop and he picks up the laptop and he looks at Mike and he says, I'm, I'm not going to give you your laptop back until you give me the money you owe me back. So he pulls the laptop into his chest and turns. And as he turns, Mike fires a bullet that goes directly underneath his arm and hits him in the heart instantly. So Jason would have actually died from that first bullet, but he ran out of the house, dropped the laptop, ran and collapsed. He fell face first right on the corner of King Farm Boulevard. Um, and Mike ran out of the house, put his hoodie over his head and then shot him five more times in the back. And one of the neighbors upstairs watched the whole thing because Mike lived in like one of those King Farm condos. So uh, his last words were screaming for his children, Nicholas and Alex. Um, so that was pretty horrifying to hear on the testimony side. And after that happened, Mike went right to the, he went right to his mom's house. He told his mom what he did and then he turned himself in. So that was in February. And then we had the murder trial in November, which lasted a really long time. It was like probably like five or seven days. I don't know. It just seemed like a really long time for somebody who had admitted to the crime. It seemed like a ginormous waste of taxpayer money and just put this guy in jail. So Mike got um, uh, life in prison with no chance of parole for owning a weapon and then, you know, obviously murder and something else. I can't remember what the other charge was. Um, and that happened. But while all this happened, Jason's parents, and obviously as a parent, you have no idea what it would be like to lose a child. You don't know how you would react, what you would do. And maybe what you would do at that moment, you would look back and be like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I did that. But you don't know because you don't know the pain of losing a child. I mean, I, I just can't even imagine. So needless to say, it was horrific. His parents were super, you know, angry and they basically took our house and we were homeless. They took my car, they took my business, they took the money, they took everything. They were like, we want nothing to do with you. We want nothing to do with your children. You're like done, like get away from us, the whole thing. So while this is happening, um, my mom and my dad obviously come from Colorado to the funeral and it was in February. It was like one of our random, you know, like two inches of snow that tends to last for two weeks. And my mom falls off the plane and breaks both of her hips. So my mom falls off the plane. My parents are in the hospital. My mom needs emergency hip surgery and my parents have no health insurance. So I'm like in the, I'll never forget it. I was in like the. I don't know the, I don't know what you call it. The place you're like picking out caskets. My dad's calling me crying from the emergency room. And I'm just like, what the hell is happening? And during this whole, this whole 48 hours, my kids get the flu. 
So they have a fever of 103. They're throwing up their babies. They're two and three years old. I mean, I literally thought I was going to lose my mind. It was the moment, the, the 48 hours in my life where I was like, I can't do this. I'm going to spontaneously combust from stress and anxiety. Like, I don't even know what to do. And then to make matters worse, the guy that shot Jason was one of our best friends. Like he was at the hospital when Nicholas was born. So it's, it's the whole dynamics of everything. It's one of those moments where you, you honestly feel like as a mom, you're floating above it all because you can't even believe it's happening. You're like, the, these things only happen on like a 2020 documentary. What the hell is going on? You must look back at that now and wonder how you made that. I mean, I know I look at that and I, I don't know how anybody would make it through that. And I'm sure you, you look back at that now too and, and wonder how you made it through. But I think, you know, we just do, we don't really have a choice. And you had kids that needed a mom and, and, and you just did it. And, um, but wow, like you really, like you said, that's, I don't think you could write a story um, that had that many tragedies in it if you even yeah. tried. So that's really, um, John, that's just um, remarkable and wow, um, puts a lot of things in perspective too. Yeah. And I think as a mom, you just go into flight or fight. You're like, okay, what are we going to do here? I got three kids. I'm alone. We're, we're either all going to crumble together or we're going to make this through and fight through it. So, and how did you do that? What did you, what did you do to fight through it? And, and for anyone listening, who's going through something really hard, what, what did you do and what advice do you have? So then I think the the only way I made it through was literally the fitness com community. And it's crazy. You know, those clients you have that are literally like the biggest pain in your ass. And you're like, you stressed me out to my soul, right? However, those are the ones that are literally at your front door, like right when a tragedy hits. It was it was mind blowing to me because I have this one woman in particular that really is the death of me. Like she just is so much energy, an energy sucker, you know, and she became like my best friend. It's, it's crazy. Um, so the fitness community definitely came through. I mean, back then we didn't have like go, go fund me or whatever it is. So they all kind of pulled together. They helped me out so that I could get a babysitter and go back to work. Jason died on a Friday. I had no money, no help, no family. My mom is in the hospital. And then I found out I had to take care of her. And I'm like, how the hell am I going to take care of her? She has polio and she has broken hips. She can't fly. She can't drive. I mean, it was horrible. My dad was like, I love you. I have to leave you and go back to Colorado and work. And then hopefully I'll be able to bring her back home. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> um. So it, it was crazy. My mom and I are not very close and uh, it was definitely a long two months. I would say February, March, and April were a complete total blur. But I think as far as like, I always tell everyone, you have to be absolutely positively sure on the things you know you don't want. It's not about the things you do want. We all want a lot of things, but what are the things you absolutely positively know you don't want? I don't want my kids to ever look at me and see weakness ever. I want my kids to think that no matter what life hands them, they can handle anything at all, which also could be a little bit to a fault because then we had another tragedy where my oldest son was dating this girl. I mean, she was a woman. She was like 19 for about 
I think they dated like three to five years and she committed suicide by gun. Um, and that happened like three or four years ago, it would have been this March. I was teaching at Equinox. It was like five in the morning. Again, it was one of those random freakish snow total storms. And they called me and they were like, there's been an accident. And at that moment, I literally thought it was my oldest son, Jordan. I thought I was going to die. Like just here that split second. Oh, as a mom is horrifying. And, um, they were like, no, Bonnie's committed suicide. And I'm just like, what are you? She was just at my house like eight weeks ago. What are you saying? It was, it was nuts, but she, um, put a gun in her mouth and committed suicide in his driveway. So as, as resilient as my children are, it, it also at some point might make them a little too strong where they need, you need to find that balance of resiliency and then being able to discuss tragedy, grief, and not feel bad about it too. I think a lot of people feel bad about talking about grief. I don't ever, people are like, oh my gosh, they like cover their mouth and they're like, oh, your husband was murdered. Like it's this horrible thing we shouldn't talk about. And I'm like, this is 2021. People are dying every minute by random gunfire and babies, two-year-olds, like not just adults. And you have a platform because of who you are. So the fact that you are able to process what's happened to you and convey it in a way that others can relate to it because so many people know you and, and feel they know you personally because you connect so well with others by sharing the fact that, hey, I'm really strong, but there are some things we can't handle. And that's when you seek help. Um, that's a very powerful message too. So what kind of help did you seek during all of this? And, and how did you go about that? I used to train this woman. She was a psychotherapist and they were doing this new like study on brains. And I remember her calling me and she's like, you're the perfect person. Cause you've had all these tragedies and you, you know, you've been on your own for so long and you've seen so many things. And I had tons of personal tragedies before Jason. And she was like, we're going to do like basically this study on your brain, I guess, like pathways or whatever. And I remember her going through all the results and she was laughing and she's like, well, the good news is you are resilient as hell. And I don't remember left, right brain, right brain, whatever. But I remember her saying like your emotional side is literally like cinder blocks. There's no movement, no processing, no emotion. Like you're completely shut off emotionally, 100%. And we can see that she goes, you're, you are living in fight or flight. And at some point during your life, those cinder blocks are going to start to break down and crack and the foundation is, is going to leak and you have to figure out how you're going to process that information. So this was 2009 when her and I had discussed all this, the boys and I got therapy for a little while with a, a counselor, but then I think you just start raising your kids and you, you're, you're a mom and every day is busy. And I think COVID is actually when I was like, okay, I've dealt with a lot of shit and I think I need to take a seat, take a deep breath and just let life happen. Like, let's just see what would, what would happen if I just sit here and settle. 
So COVID happened. I went back to work and then I was sitting there and I'm like, I'm going to quit. <laughs> I just, I remember my boss being on a phone call and I walked in and I was like, you know what? I'm quitting. And she was like, what do you, what do you mean you're quitting? You can't quit. And I'm like, I'm quitting. I'm leaving. I can't do this. Like I need to figure out what makes me happy and how to kind of, um, allow myself to feel, what does it feel like to grieve? What does it feel like to look at my children and wonder and help them process as they're grieving when, you know, even when your parent dies, when you're young, you have this after effect and these thoughts and you see all your friends and they have parents and you don't, I mean, there's so much process you go through as you age that I, I feel like everyone needs therapy their entire life. You need it through every facet, right? Marriage, marriage is hard. Raising kids is hard. Divorce is hard. Disease is hard. Everything is hard. <laughs> Fitness yeah, I think helps. Movement helps, you know? Yeah, and I think you raise a really good point too that was kind of implied there that so many of us and parents and busy people, and I mean, you are a great example of this, somebody who's just always go, 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 is that we don't take the time to, to feel. You know, we're just, we stay so, we use our busyness to, um, to kind of push through everything. And so I think that you, you have a great point that COVID kind of gave us a lot, a lot of us a chance to step back and reevaluate and that time to breathe that we didn't ever have for, for, for so long. So tell us a little bit about what you've done since COVID, like how you've kind of transformed things through COVID. I know we were talking before we got on about how we were both a little bit like hesitant to go back to post-COVID uh, world and, and normalcy because we've both really enjoyed, you know, some of the aspects of, of having stepped back during COVID. So tell us kind of what you've done and what you're doing now. It was kind of like one of those Jerry Maguire moments where you're like, uh, you know, and after you quit, you're like, uh-oh, what did I just do? Because I love my job. Like I, I absolutely positively loved it. But then at the end of the day, when you're sitting there, you're like, okay, how much further can I really go? And am I serving just the company, like the business and the brand, or am I serving the people? Am I serving myself? Like, what am I actually doing? Yeah. Let's step back just for a minute. For those who don't know, tell us just briefly what your job was. Okay. So I was the area manager at Equinox Fitness Clubs, which is based out of like New York and LA, but we have five locations here. Well, four, and they were building a fifth, but um, my job was basically to oversee all of group fitness and then kind of develop talent, quality assure programming, all the things that go into group fitness. And it's, you know, if anybody knows fitness, everyone knows that Equinox is basically like the Buddha of fitness. It's like, as you can't go any higher than Equinox. Like it is what it is. So getting that job was absolutely positively my goal and what I wanted. And I started out like just as an instructor. And then I went and became, you know, um, the manager of one club. And then I became the manager of two clubs. And then they're like, okay, now you're going to become the area and you're in charge of everything. So, and, and those instructors are my family. Like it's re it's like raising 167 children. And you're like, each one of them is special in their own way and you love them and you're, you're cultivating them. And then you create these children who are effing amazing. And you're like crying. And I'm like, Oh my God, you nailed it. You're so amazing. And then they get married and they have kids and it literally feels like a mom to a whole lot of children. So it was my dream job and it still makes me sad that I'm not there, but I know in my life at this time, I couldn't do it. 
So I guess it's basically just like, you know, Oprah would say it's the universe is telling you what to do and you're either going to listen or you're going to ignore it. And you've got those two choices and that's it. By the way, I do love Oprah, Julie. She's my favorite. Um, so COVID hit. That was March. I, obviously in March, nobody really did anything. I remember this guy, Marco, he was like, Jen, you could do this thing called Zoom. And I'm like, I don't even know what you're saying. I can barely turn my computer on. And he is a, um, a doctor and he's like, oh, we do it all the time. I'll teach you how to do it. And he was like the first person to teach me how to Zoom. And that was, we went into COVID like March 16th. It was the following week because I was also petrified, not of not working, but what would my older clients do who had nobody around them? They were my biggest fear. It wasn't the 40 year old mom with a husband and four kids. And you know, that's, wasn't my biggest fear at all. It was the little old lady that lives in the condo by herself. And she's 74 years old and all her kids are grown and gone and she's stuck. So I really did zooming for those people. And I didn't even know what the hell I was doing. I was like, you know, at that point I was like, let's march in place and make this work. So that lasted all of March, all of April, all of May. And then in June, we got word that we were going back to work. So I kind of did some zooming because obviously nobody's going to the gym at this point either. We were just going to work, which I also was kind of like, why are we going to work? No one's here, but whatever. So June and July, I was still like zooming a little, you know, just to kind of touch base with those people and make sure they were okay and moving. And then I quit my job and then somebody sent me a text message of an ad from this company called Moxie. So I did a little research and I was like, who is this guy? Like normally when you're in fitness, you kind of all know each other, even if you're not in the same city or the same state, like the big players in fitness, you know, you've heard of. Um, and the guy that started Moxie, I was just kind of like, I have no idea who this guy is. And I kept saying his name, Jason Goldberg, Jason Goldberg. And I'm like, I don't know. So I finally reached out to him and I'm like, Hey, who are you? Like, why are you doing this fitness company? Where are you from? What's your scoop? Ironically enough, he's from here. His parents used to take my cycle class at lifetime. Yeah. It's like crazy small world. So it was one of those moments where I was like, Oh, this, this is it. This is the universe. Thank you. Oprah Winfrey. I found it. I got it. So he and I started talking and connecting and I was still a little unsure, but I knew there had to be a place online for people to go, for instructors to go that could actually help people, but not have to worry about like, am I going to be on Instagram all day? Do I have my, you know, um, Sutra account all linked up and do I have an ad and, you know, Stripe for credit cards and all this other background stuff. And I was going to build my own website and do all that. And I'm like, I, this is not for me. This just does not speak to my soul. It's not for me. And Jason basically created this platform. It was a home for instructors to go to where you could, it's completely inclusive for all people in the world. You know, there's no specific style or type. It was just like all these instructors from all over the world coming together on this platform that just want to help people move well. 
and Jason's team handles everything on the back end. So it's amazing. It's just like going to work. You, you wake up, you log in, you teach, you log off and you get paid. And I'm like, this is exactly what I wanted. And Jason is literally one of the best humans I've ever worked for. You deserve every bit of this. This is such a Basharit, which, you know, is, yeah. is a Hebrew word for it. it was meant to be. That's so, that's such a cool story. So how, let's say if someone's interested in taking a class of yours on Moxie, how does that work? So right now you can just go to Moxie and I can give you the, um, the link, but it's moxie.xyz. You type in my name at the top and you can come in and join a class and we can give, you know, all of your podcast movers and runners and teammates a link so that they can get 10 free days. Yeah. Love it. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. We'll get that information from you and put it in the show notes. So what kind of classes do you So right now I'm working on creating teams. So we have a girl from LA. She's teaching a bar class. We have two instructors that we're working with now to kind of do a yoga and a stretch. And we're doing outdoor boot camps that kind of work with the Moxie platform. So they can sign up for like a package. Let's just say they want to do one month that's has every, every facet of fitness. They can do bar, they can do yoga, they can do stretching, they can do strength training, they can do HIIT workout, and then they can come and actually be coached by me once a week outdoors. So it's super cool. All times of the day, 6 a.m. nights, they can do live classes on demand. It's awesome. And I know people want to get back after COVID, but I do think once we see the shift of people going back, they're going to realize, okay, now I've had the both, both worlds online in person, what actually makes sense for my life, what creates less stress and less stress means healthier bodies, which is what we want. So I think that it'll be a different, it'll be an interesting dynamic of what we see over the next four to six months. Yeah, I think that the whole fitness industry is going to see a big, a big change, you know, away from um, often away from the gyms and, and people going into gyms to do their workouts because people got used to kind of figuring out what they can do either on their own or on their own schedules. But what, what have you seen over your many, many years of experience and all the different people that you've worked with? What have you seen as kind of the the key to success with fitness, like a lot of our runners, you know, it's hard for them to put fit in their strength or their fitness or their, you know, outside of running, whatever they're doing outside of running. We always, um, you know, talk about the importance of strength training um, and it's hard for people to fit it in. So what have you seen that, that is kind of how, who's been successful and how, how are they successful? What, what makes a successful, somebody successful in, in getting in their strength and, and feeling healthy and moving well into their older years? I think one of the main things is stop obsessing. You know, it's the obsessive constant conversation all the time. What should I be doing? What should I be eating? How many times should I be working out? What are the movements that I doing? And then, you know, social media obviously does not play a healthy part in this. I saw this, I read this, I heard this. And I think COVID, the amount of time people have spent on social media, I would love to see that data of how the time spent on social media skyrocketed during COVID. But something we also saw during COVID was that a tremendous uptick in all of a sudden instant trainers on Instagram. Like people, you're like, oh, 
didn't even know she was a trainer. And people were quitting their jobs and becoming trainers overnight. So I think in the running community, like diehard runners are very focused, very type A. They've got a plan. They've got a goal, their next race, their next run. I'm going to shave off 30 seconds. I'm, you know, so I would say the one thing that works for every human, whether you are a marathon runner or a couch to 5k runner is consistency period, hands down. You know, it's funny, Julie, because Oprah did this, um, show once and I'll never forget it. It was when she was, you know, would go through those like yo-yo weight shows back in like the nineties, maybe. And she came out one year, it was like January. And she's like, there was all this hype in the Chicago Tribune. Oprah's coming out. She's going to tell everyone her magical secret. It's going to be crazy. It was like the highest amount of views she had ever had for her, one of her TV shows. She walks out on stage and she's like, I have more money than I possibly need. I could get all the best coaches, the best chefs. I could get the best data, everything. She goes, you know what it is? It's working out and eating healthy. There it is. And the whole audience was like, oh my God, that's it. And she was like, it's not rocket science. Like it's consistency. Keep moving, eat well. I'm like, yep, that's pretty much it. And it goes to show you, it doesn't matter how much money you have or what kind of access you have to different information. It's still pretty basic. (laughs) It really is. I think there's also something that you have and that is perspective. You clearly, by virtue of your job at Equinox in particular, you've worked with people of all ages and all kinds of bodies and um, all kinds of fitness levels. So based on that, you know firsthand that two people can be doing the exact same thing, but the results will be different, not because someone's doing it wrong, but just because different bodies respond differently to the same exercise or the same food habits. It's not that someone's doing it wrong. We're just all wired a little bit differently. So what do you say to those who are frustrated right now that are saying, yeah, that's great, but nothing's working for me. What do you say to them? So um, I say that all the time, what you said, I'm like, every single body in this room is different. I think the number one thing is your body will tell you exactly what it should be doing, but you have to actually listen to your body. So let's say you're a runner and you have a basic runner, not a basic runner, a runner who needs basic strength training, but then you have another runner who also needs basic strength strength training, but their body is responding completely different to those basic foundational, you know, let's do eight to 12 weeks of basic strength training. Let's do two to three times a week. Let's do these 10 exercises. We're going to do three sets. We're going to do 12 to 20 reps. Your body will be able to tell you exactly what is happening. If you do 20 reps and you felt no fatigue whatsoever, but the person next to you is could barely make it to 15 reps and you guys have exactly the same weight, your bodies are responding differently. You know, people can do squats all day, all night, but what are you doing? What are you lifting? How are you lifting it? Does your body need that exact movement? Maybe you would respond differently if you did power lifting, if you did endurance lifting. And a lot of it has to do with genetics. A lot of it has to do with time commitment, chaos. What are your ultimate goals? 
And I think when you start to break down the why's, okay, well, why are you doing it? Why do you want to do it? What's it for? And you kind of start to ask those questions. You can really hone into somebody's goals and you would be amazed to find out like we're talking about general population at the end of the day. It's usually something simple. Like I don't even care how I look. I just need 20 minutes to myself. And then you're like, Oh, okay. Well that's much different than, Hey Jen, I want to lose five pounds because actually you don't want to lose five pounds and your brain and your body are connecting to that. So you're not going to lose five pounds because your body knows you're not here to lose five pounds. You're here because you need 20 minutes. That's all about you. And that's what I'm going to give you. So you really have to focus in on what your goals are and, and peel apart kind of, you know, layer by layer. What are the true goals? You'd be amazed at how many people don't even really want to lose weight. They think they want to lose weight. That's very interesting. So just sort of along the same lines as intuitive eating, we'll call it intuitive yes. exercising and recognizing what your goals are. So to that end, um, sort of an opposite question. I know there's a lot of people listening who are saying, yeah, but Jen, you, you are the, one of the premier fitness gurus in the area. What, I don't have the money or the time to work one-on-one with a trainer. I want to get stronger. What are some key exercises? If you don't mind mentioning strength training exercises that you would recommend for all runners. Uh, For runners. So I think the most beneficial type for most runners is the strength training that's more on the endurance side, the 12 to 20 rep range, the basic three sets. Um, Also, I think what is key for runners is body weight functional movements that incorporate balance, coordination, and efficiency. Because obviously there's not a lot of runners who are like, hey, so I've decided I'm not only going to become an endurance runner, but I'm going to become a power lifter. So those kind of things are really not going to work out well together. Um, And it doesn't have to be like this acrobatic of, you know, squat, push, make a circle, turn around, do jazz arms. It can be a basic squat, you know, and those kind of, there's so much access of information on YouTube, like how to do a squat. I can't even, there's probably 5 million videos on YouTube on how to do a squat. There are basic movement patterns in the human body that you should master, you know, the push, the pull, the squat, the hinge, the lunge, your gait, obviously, and rotation, if you master those movements and you keep your rep range between 12 and 20, I say stay consistent and stick with the basics. I don't think real runners need to get all fancy, right? We love that advice. And that's what we're constantly preaching to our runners is that you don't have to go do a 45-minute powerlifting session and you just need to incorporate these really basic moves into your, into your repertoire. Um, well, Jen, you are um, amazing. We, you know, came on to talk a lot about fitness and about how runners can improve their strength. But I think um, what we're really um, taken by is just your resiliency and, um, and, and your positive attitude and how you've just, you know, you've made up your mind that this is like you said, what don't you want to be? And then what does it take to, to make sure that you, um, that you stay away from that? But, uh, it's really to us that is even more remarkable and more um, more of a takeaway message than the strength and um, the technical the technical aspects of strength training. So, um, especially as we come out of COVID and people are kind of a lot of people are struggling with with different emotions and different um, you know things that are going on in their lives and um, and challenges. Uh, your lessons are 
your your lessons on resiliency are are even far more important than than your lessons on strength training. But but um, that being said, we hope our runners will check out your classes on Moxie, and um and and incorporate them because we think you are an amazing uh you know. Uh, example and an inspirer um if that's a word uh for you know just in the in the fitness world and your energy and your um everything comes through when you um when you are, are up there um leading leading your sessions and um that i think is why everybody loves you so much is that everything that we've seen today really comes through and you care so much about the the people that you interact with and that was evidenced by how much you cared about the you know the older um class members who may have been home by themselves during COVID. And that's that's why everybody um, adores you. And we just feel so fortunate to have been able to talk to you today and have you as part of our, um, you know, our, as, as Julie said at the beginning, kind of our sheroes of the fitness industry. So we feel so fortunate um, to have you as part of that and as a resource. So we really appreciate you coming on and being so open and sharing today. Of course. Thank you so much. It was amazing. I love talking to you ladies. We love talking to you too, Jen. Thank you so much. And uh, we can't wait to see you in person. I know. I can't wait to see you guys too. We'll have a workout session. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> can't wait. All right. Great. Thanks again, Jen. Talk Bye, to you guys. Soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryant. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.